0: Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people.
1: Hello and welcome to Word Processing. My name is Josiah and I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario, the place of origin of the resource to which you are currently listening. Uh, This week I'm joined in conversation by Lou. Lou's blessed our church family this past weekend, Palm Sunday by bringing us a word from the book of Daniel. And we wanted to take a few minutes midweek to revisit that sermon a bit and, and discuss some of its the potential implications for us today. So first, uh, Lou, welcome to your podcast debut. Thank you. <laughs> expectations are very high for you, I should tell you right now, because you, normally Andrew's sitting there, and so he sets the bar pretty high. Okay. you got a lot to live up to. Yeah. Um, I wonder, just to start off, why don't you uh, give us a review or a summary of what you talked about from Daniel, and we'll go from there.
0: Yeah, what I wanted people to see is that we're not living in the first crisis in history. The children of Israel lived in a, in a huge crisis. And Daniel spoke to that crisis when people were asking, Where's God? I mean, you know, our city is burned. Our temple is burned. Mm-hmm. We're not living in the promised land anymore. Mm-hmm. Where did it all go wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think we're tempted to ask questions like that now. Mm-hmm. And so my goal was to respond to those questions in a way that Daniel wrote to the people of his time.
1: So help us understand it, because I know when I hear about what you're describing there, the crisis in Israel, I sometimes gloss over that and don't understand the depths of the crisis that the people of God were experiencing in that time.
0: Like, how tragic was it for
1: them in the time of
0: Daniel? Well, I think the temple was one of the most gorgeous buildings in the world. And it represented, it represented the visible presence of God on earth. Even if you weren't a practicing Jew, somehow there was this aura of, you know, of this building that kind of protected you from everything, and it didn't work. You know, in the city of Jerusalem, which had been developed by David, captured by David, developed by David, promised by God, a place for my name, a place for my name, it's, it's huge to the Israelite. It's, it's just part of fabric of who they are as a nation.
1: So really, to be removed from Jerusalem is to be removed
0: from the presence of God. Yeah, it's to it's be removed, in a sense, from mm-hmm. God's presence. And also, it also looks like a rescinding of his promise. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were to live in the promised land. God got them there. It took them 500 years or, to get there, but they got there, and now they're no longer there. And, and th- those are huge questions. Yeah.
1: And one of the themes that you brought out as you scanned over the book of Daniel was this idea of God being the God over all gods. Right. right? And how did you establish that through the stories of Daniel?
0: Well, I, at the end of every chapter, uh, there was kind of a signing off note. I mean, except in chapter five, because Belshazzar doesn't have time to give a, a signing off note. You know, he's just gone. His kingdom is done. But. You know, like in chapter 6, Darius makes this incredible statement about the people of the world need to worship Daniel's God. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar says the same thing. I praise and extol the God of heaven. You know, um, and then you just see no God, but God could interpret the dreams that that Daniel interprets. He's in control of history. Mm -hmm. You know, he can take care of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace Mm -hmm. can take care of Daniel in a lion's den, and he can bring down egotists like Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar.
1: And that kind of leans already to your next point, which had to do with pride, right? And and how pride can be uh, the beginning of the fall for some of these kings uh, in Daniel. Um, And I guess, how does that, uh, how do you see that translating to our situation? Today, like we are in crisis, perhaps some people would feel this is crisis. Maybe not to the extent that the Jews are experiencing, but
0: yeah, I, th- I think all of us fight through the same thing. We look at this virus, and and we forget that God protects His children. You know, and I really think, and when I say protects His children, I also want to put a moral qualifier on that: protects his children that love Him and that obey Him. When you step outside of obedience and loving relationship with God, you're entering uh, the danger zone. You know you don't.
1: Yeah, the danger zone. Yeah. You
0: don't have on the whole armor of God anymore, yeah. mm-hmm. so to speak. So yeah, you're you're not in a good place. But pride can come in funny ways. I mean. We see pride on TV, and national leaders, like we got this covered and we're going to, you know, we've got the bell curve figured out on this whole thing and whatever, you know. <laughs> and obviously we don't have it figured out mm-hmm. and we don't have a cure for it yet. Mm-hmm. I can remember as a child, by the way, living through the polio scare and remembering what it was like when uh, Salk came up with the vaccine. So <laughs> for me, this is kind of like reliving... Except it wasn't quite as crazy back then because people weren't so mobile and whatever. But yeah, I think there's two kinds of pride. I think there's pride that thinks, you know, we, we can do it. We can do this. We mm-hmm. don't need God. we got it covered. we got great mm-hmm. scientists, whatever. The, the other thing is there's a pride that's focused on self in a different way. And that's fear pride mm-hmm. where I'm just worried about me. What happens if I catch this thing? blah blah, 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 blah. you know, and, and so we're living in fear everywhere. And Christians need to fight that. And we're told to fight that. I, for me, I've been the things I've been doing in terms of fighting that, I'm reading psalm twenty seven, The Lord's my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, it, I don't need to worry. God's on my side, you know, or to go over to Philippians Philippines, Chapter 4, you know, be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then I find, I know the verses and I recite the verses, but I need to discipline my mind to say, God's word is the final word. Yeah.
1: And that's a tough thing. And that's the tough thing. To make that our final authority, the grid through which we see all world events and all events of our lives yeah. that's a tough thing
0: and i mentioned in uh, the message oswald chambers i just read a biography of oswald mm-hmm. chambers and i came away from that book it's the one thing i came away from that book with is there was a man who trusted god implicitly
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was you know whether you agree with him on a lot of things or not mm-hmm. he trusted god implicitly
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was amazing and and a good encouragement for me
1: yeah So a lot of us, I don't think, immediately equate fear with pride. Those almost seem antithetical to one another at times. We feel that fear can be evidence of a lack of pride because like how vulnerable I am. So I think you touched on this already, but help me to understand how fear can be an actual manifestation of pride in the believer's life.
0: It, It takes the focus off God and it puts it on self. You know, it's a killer sin. You know, I think of the what is that old C.S. Lewis uh, phrase he's talking about humility as opposed to pride. You know, the humility is Christian men mm-hmm. thinking they're imbeciles and uh, Christian women thinking they're ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to overcome pride. When the issue is thinking less about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's the thing is it's to think about it's God's world, and this is a time. When well, we're surrounded by people living in fear, and if ever there's a time for us to speak, it's now. I mean, it really is now. We have the answer to that question. But our answer is gonna be vacuous, it's gonna be empty, unless we live the life that people can see living the life.
1: So, two questions to follow up with that. First, root it back in Daniel. Uh, You scanned over top of the three stories of uh, Daniel, and then the three men, and then Daniel again. Share with us briefly how they exemplified a lack of the pride that you're talking about here, how they exemplified that humility and looking to the Lord, and then practical examples on how we, as Christians, like you're saying, can live in a world saturated with fear right now, in fearless humility. So first Daniel, and then us.
0: Yeah, I think... The issue with Daniel always is his awareness of God's covenant, his promise. I didn't touch very much on Daniel 9, but in Daniel 9, if God said it, Daniel believes it. You know, and he's sitting there confessing his sin, which is amazing, and the sin of his nation, identifying with that nation, saying, you know what, I'm human like you are, but here's the deal with me. I trust God's promises. And... And that's not a matter of pride. That's a matter of faith. We have confidence, but it's not confidence in self. It's confidence in God. So to me, when I look at Daniel or you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's their confidence in God. In fact, it's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to uh, the Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know if God's going to save us out of furnace or not. Frankly, we don't care. We're going to do what God told us to do. Yeah, but, and and that's true faith. Yeah. There's no pride there. They They weren't excited about jumping into the furnace, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But if that was the cost of their faith, they were prepared for that.
1: So Daniel, obviously, is speaking about walking through times of uncertainty or disaster, as you titled the sermon, with faith and not fear. And Daniel, when it comes to the food, he decided to follow the Lord. The three men, when it comes to bowing down to idols, they decide to trust the Lord and not uh, fear. And then Daniel again in the prayer that ends up in the lion's den. So clearly three examples, and you tie them together so well that these examples of people who are met with potential and very real disasters and threat to their lives, uh, and they chose to trust in what God had already revealed and walk in faith. And like you said, it's not like they weren't feeling anxious, I'm sure. But they decide to act in spite of their anxiety.
0: And I think because of the the way that the second half of the book of Daniel works, with these incredible visions as to what the future really is, and the future is what God says it's going to be. You know, the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne says enough of this is enough of this. And, you know, the same with a stone that's hewed out, but without hands, Mm -hmm. and is thrown at that giant symbol of the nations, Mm -hmm. is crushes, and that stone is Christ, and that mountain is the kingdom, without doubt. Those things are in mind, and we need to keep those things in mind. It's not about today. It's about eternity.
1: So practically, what does that look like today? So we have the examples given to us in Daniel and the foreshadowing of Daniel, or the the prophecy of Daniel, looking forward to what's future even for us today. How are we in the 21st century living in this pandemic? How are we to live in faith and not fear? What practically, what is that? If you were going to pastor me through this, I'm feeling anxious, Lou. I'm feeling stressed and fearful. What do I need to do?
0: I, I think there'd be several things I'd say. First of all, go back into the Psalms. There was never a guy who lived in more danger at more time <laughs> than david <laughs> I mean, he's running for his life for who knows how long and he always comes back to the fact that god has him covered mm. and and for me that's what i do personally i go go to the psalms time after time after time or even psalm 2 which i quoted in the in the message you know why do the heathen and people imagine pain thing God's laughing at this. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is craziness. I've set my king in Zion. So I think, first of all, you have to have a fixed faith, okay? You don't go into a crisis and try to find faith. Your faith prepares you for the crisis. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't find faith in the middle of a crisis and someday wake up and say, aha, I got it, you know. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We need to have that. Two, I think we need to see if we're going to be men of faith. We need to share that vision with others in the church. I mean, there's tons of people in the church who are weaker brothers and sisters. and, And they're living in fear. And we need to say, wait a second here. We have God's promise okay? The very worst thing that can happen to you is you end up at his right hand tomorrow. How bad can that be? That's the very worst yep. that can happen to yep. you. And we're not living like that. See, and I and I think part of the problem is we have bought into the world we, we want stuff now. But the psalmist says there are pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. And we need to get the eternity focus. Mm. So to me, part of that living in faith means I have to have that eternity focus. I have to live for why God's got me here, which is to be to encourage the saints and to share the good news with the lost. Mm-hmm. And as I tried to point out, God's, God's got an incredible kingdom where all of this stuff is gone. You know, mm-hmm. There's no more crying, no more tears, no more war, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. Mm-hmm. Everything... We ever wanted God says, "I want you to have them." I'm the one who gave you that idea. And we have we all have neighbors who right now are wondering, you know, where do I turn? And we better be ready to tell them, turn to God.
1: I read an article recently that the title of it was, uh, "Don't waste this pandemic." Speaking of Christians, kind Mm -hmm. of. Along the lines of what you're saying, don't waste This is an opportunity. It is a lot of people are fearful. A lot of people are met, confronted with their own mortality and confronted with their own realization that they don't have a substantiated hope to lean on. This is an opportunity for yeah. believers to speak into that. Now you mentioned in the sermon that God protects his children who love and honor him. You made that um, that disclaimer there. He doesn't protect all people. So how do we reconcile that with a believer who gets the virus a believer who gets sick something bad happens to a believer who seems to be trying to honor the lord trying to live in a way that pleases them how do we reconcile those two things
0: i'm not sure I, i would use the word reconcile i would i'd use the word understand that god can do strange things to achieve incredible results I mean, the book of Job is incredible. Job's going through a lot of garbage. He doesn't understand. He's got a wife that's encouraging him to curse God and get it over with. Um, and he stands. And I remember somebody sending me a, a Yancey article, I think, years and years ago when I was going through a big crisis in my own life. And it says, you need to understand that the story of Job is God trusts some men to stand for him in crisis. Could you be a Job? God's got some heroes that'll go through the water, that'll go through the fire. They're going to shine like gold, and they're going to show us how to live a life which trusts God for good or for ill. And I think we have to do that. Other than that, you're starting to move in the direction of the prosperity theology. I'm God's child. I've committed myself to him. He's gonna use me where he wants me to be and however he wants me to be. It's like Jim Elliot and the Alka Indians. It's like all of those kinds of stories.
1: So how do we bring this crisis, this disaster, as the title of your sermon indicated, how does this relate to we're entering you know, the, the Holy Week Or we have we've had Palm Sunday and now we're coming into uh, Good Friday and Easter, which is clearly an important time in the Christian faith, important time on the Christian calendar for us to remember. How does that add anything when we think about the, uh, the suffering, the death and the eventual resurrection of our Lord? How does that play into this conversation?
0: <laughs> if, if ever suffering would move people in the direction of God, this should be one of those times. So, uh, But I think, I mean, at the heart of Christianity, there is a suffering. We're not, we're not called, you know, I, I think of the old hymn, must I be carried to the sky on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail the bloody seas? No, I must fight if I would win. Increase my courage, Lord. So, congratulations. You're the first one to quote a hymn on this podcast. <laughs> Probably the first one to remember. <laughs> that's
1: that's like- I thought you were going to stop a stanza. That's pretty good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was with a friend in South Carolina who was a big Oswald Chambers fan. So he gave me the book and I thought I got to read it. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't the favorite book I ever read, but the man left an impact, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that the Christian needs to understand. The Christian life isn't all about good times. It's about Mm -hmm. suffering. It's about God taking you to places you've never been before so that you trust him. For me, I learned more about trusting God when I left Canada and went to Russia and then to Kazakhstan and then to Tajikistan and all of these. All of a sudden you were at, you know, anything could go wrong at any moment. And you really needed to learn to trust God. Suffering is a big part of growing. Mm -hmm. Pain is a big part of growing. You can get mad at God, or you can say, as Paul says in Corinthians, that you can use your suffering to be a powerful influence Mm -hmm. in somebody else's life. Mm -hmm. Don't waste your suffering.
1: It seems to be the pattern through certainly the New Testament, the life of Christ, the life of the apostles. There is glory for the believer. But it comes through suffering. Yeah, glory is on the other side of the suffering. Well, you've been preaching on
0: Peter for what eight or ten weeks or something like that. So, the phrase that comes to my mind always because I think it's what Peter didn't understand mm. and finally got: first the suffering, then the glory. He always wanted Christ to have the glory and not go through the suffering. And finally, when you come to First and Second Peter, he's got that figured out. Mm. And suffering is the way to glory. Mm
1: -hmm. So some closing admonitions as we wrap this up from the life of Daniel. And as we're in this time of uncertainty for many believers, what would you say to encourage uh, the, certainly the family of Oak Ridge, but then anyone else who's listening also?
0: I'd say two things. Check your theological priorities. What do you base your life on? Your experience With God's promises, God's word. And if you're going on experience, God bless you, but it's going to be a rough trip. So that that would be the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say to people who might be listening who are not believers and aren't even convinced God exists or that he's important or relevant or anything like that, you might want to give that another thought, you know? The world has promised you we got everything under control. You can't look at the world today and say it's under control. I haven't even looked at my IRA because it scares me to no end. (laughs) Like, I don't want to know what happened. But all I know is I'm still retired. I've got less money than I had before. That's all I know. And, you know, and and what difference does it make, you know, that we can live and trust in God. Surely, I mean, God's—you know—you got nine eleven, you got, got two thousand eight. Now we've got this virus. When are we going to wake up and say, "God keeps sending messages like you don't have it under control"? I'm still here. I get the last word. That's what I would say.
1: That's good. Well, thanks, Lou, not only for the time today, but also your word on Sunday. Appreciate it very much. Your ministry, your continued ministry to not only me, but the people of Oak Ridge. And, and thank you, listener, for tuning in today, wherever you are. Uh, this is our sincere prayer that these discussions are in some way encouraging and edifying. Uh, we trust God that that is so. And we sign off with the Apostle John's words that begin his second letter. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Amen. God bless.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for
1: more information.